0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in
1: Tuscaloosa. Well, we, you know, we've always had great fan support, um, regardless of where we played. Uh, there's always been great enthusiasm. I think our fans are a big part of the team. Uh, the great atmosphere of the that they it's create Lawrence, you know, during Justin, games is you know, something that's part of the show.
2: A minute or two afternoon. As uh, we get ready to bring you a couple hours, our guests, uh, Mick Gillespie, will be with us in the second hour in just a few minutes. We'll go to Alabama beat writer um, Mike Rodak from AL.com. But we talk about it every day, how hot it is. It's cooler now, and it's going to be a little bit cooler this weekend. In fact, maybe 15 degrees cooler. But I'm leading with weather because of its Really because of an article that Nick Alvarez wrote on AL.com concerning what Alabama does to monitor the heat. But then you you go further south, down into the Gulf, and there's Hurricane Idalia, uh, who's already causing problems, mainly in kind of the crook of the Florida panhandle, uh, headed up through there. And already plans are being adjusted as far as the Florida Gators travel. They'll practice today. And the way I read their itinerary, they'll go to Dallas, spend the night there before going to Utah for their opener. So weather has a lot to do with the world of sports always, but especially today. This article that Nick Alvarez wrote is very intriguing. They have these little bitty tabs that they put on the player's tongue. And through their saliva, it measures their hydration. And I found it quite compelling. Uh, In addition to the tabs, they have sodium shots, salt packets, Pedialyte. But what really just boggled my mind, Lars, is this was in an interview on the next round with Tyler Booker yesterday. And they indicated that Tyler can lose as much as a gallon an hour? I mean, I just just think of that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it's really uh, incredible. And uh, a big uh, shout-out to Nick Alvarez for uh, writing a really nice piece in com. Agreed. And um, it just shows you that... One, uh, everyone needs to take the the heat very seriously, uh, and that includes even non-athletes. But especially for the football players, you're out there in pads. Uh, it's absolutely boiling. You know, hundred and what fifteen uh, heat index and I, alabama in so many ways is on the cutting edge of uh nutrition just uh sports science and uh it's uh it's i i i didn't know anything about this uh until i i read it this morning as well and uh it, it's pretty fascinating and you know so far so good you haven't heard of any players really suffering any uh you know heat exhaustion heat fatigue uh you just know that they are are closely monitored and i i frankly i think this will give alabama a little bit of an edge sort of you know midway later in the season just because of the conditioning it takes and uh and 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 it, it really is amazing that uh you know, that uh, some of the players are labeled, quote, heavy sweaters, unquote, and uh, they produce up to 3.5 liters an hour. <laughs>
4: so five
3: times. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just crazy. It's the linemen, right? It's, it's the big boys yeah. Yeah. that uh, sweat uh, differently just because of their different physiques. And uh, and again, this this the article on com is uh, just absolutely fascinating, man.
2: Three and a half liters is equal to 0.95 gallons. A gallon an hour practice is what, two? Uh, man, that is a lot of water lost. But he says, Booker, and he says Alabama and their staff are constantly monitoring this to make sure that they are hydrated. And like Lars just said, apparently they're doing a really, really good job. The deal that I was really interested in is if you don't hydrate... Let me give you a perfect example. This past Friday night, I was doing a high school football game for St. Clair County High School. Our sideline reporter is a guy named Brad Carden who used to play. Played on their their state championship team several years ago. So I asked him in pregame, I said, what do you do uh, to keep hydrated in the game? And he said... If you're just starting, you're too late. So the whole deal is, Lars, you're drinking water all the time. At night, day, morning, noon, whatever the case may be, you just drink water. Now, you can drink the, the substitutes or the or the, the energy drinks like the Pedialyte and all that kind of stuff. But anybody that keeps up with this is, is very, very well aware of the fact that water is the best thing. And... That's what uh, Alabama's doing. As far as uh, Hurricane Idalia, our prayers and thoughts are going down to the people in Florida as uh, they are certainly uh, having to gear up. I think last I checked, 80 mile per hour winds. Um, Of course, as as you know, when it gets closer to to land, it tends to uh, get stronger. Hope it doesn't get any stronger than that. They are already um, evacuating certain areas of Florida. And our prayers go there. And I'm sure that Florida's travel is not the only college football game that is uh, going to be affected by the hurricane that is supposed to come in tomorrow on Wednesday. So that's the situation as we go through weather. Now, Lars, you back with me?
3: Justin? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so having some some issues here. Yes. So we got through the weather. Uh, One thing I wanted to get to right at the top was um, Justin Thomas. We know how badly he wants to play for the Ryder Cup. And sure enough, Zach Johnson in a somewhat surprising mood or move uh tripping over my tongue here um pick Justin Thomas as uh, one of the captain's pick for the Riders Cup team even though Justin Thomas uh has just had a surprisingly poor season you know he's missed the cut in three of the major championships uh former number 1 player in the world is uh he's just in the in the midst of a real struggle but uh are you surprised I, and we'll get back to Alabama football here in a second but are you, are you surprised that uh Justin Thomas uh, was picked by Zach Johnson to be on the Ryder Cup.
2: A little bit. I am. Uh, He was not playing well at the end of the year. And of course, he did just miss that chip. Uh, But he hasn't played really very well as of late. But I don't disagree with it either. Um, Justin's one of those guys that wants to fight for his country on the golf course. And he wants a part of that. And his record at the Ryder Cup is, is quite good. So, as I read in one article this morning, it says, how can you leave that guy behind? Um, you really can't. And you know what I think it's going to produce? It's going to produce one brilliant performance by Justin Thomas. But as Lars, as you talked about when we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago, you know, if just is not playing well you just move him way back down in the lineup okay it's not mm-hmm. like he's going to be out there playing every day if he's playing bad they will make adjustments
3: on the fly so from a personal standpoint i'm glad he's playing yeah me, me too and uh, zach johnson you know he referred to justin thomas as uh, quote the heart and soul of team usa our emotional leader unquote and um, you know Justin is really good in Ryder Cup play. He's got a six two and one record, and uh, as well as a sixteen and f- sixteen five and three overall record when combined with the President Cups. And so I think that was a clearly a huge factor. It's just Justin's past performance, and uh, look, and Justin's acknowledged that the last few weeks have been really difficult. You know, he narrowly missed qualifying for the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, remember he tied for 12th at the Wyndham Championship at, where just if he would have been one stroke better he would have gotten in and he finished 71st in the final standings. And uh, as I mentioned, he missed three cuts in the majors, including the Open in July. He, two times he shot 80s in, in the 80s in the majors. And he hasn't won uh, since uh, 2022, the PGA Championship, which was his second major. Uh, and just in, in 2023, this year, he only has one top five finish. So, um, yeah, I think this is just a, a sort of a gut feel that, uh, Zach Johnson is going with, and I, I honestly think he made the right call, and I know that, uh, you know, some players are really disappointed that, uh, that, that, um, that Justin got in. But uh hey, it's a Zach's call and, and also Brooks Kepka. He was uh he was also a captain's pick, somewhat surprising because he moved to the Live Golf League and that was viewed as a kind of a, a potential roadblock to his inclusion. But um, you know, the Zach Johnson had to overlook that because of Kepka's overall championship record and And he's really well-liked among his teammates. And and that is a a, a big role, too. You know, how how does everybody get along? What is the group dynamic? And I know that that went into Zach Johnson's thinking.
2: I think they'll pull together, although I'm not real fond of the idea of putting a live golfer on there. Um, I guess they're setting all uh, the feelings aside, and they're going to fight and play for the old red, white, and blue well Brando did it again. Oh my Timmy, Timmy B. We'll talk about that with Mike Rodak and all on the other side of the break as you listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage.
5: Tide 100.9,
0: Tuscaloosa weather. The sky cloudy at times will maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 87. Tonight's low, 71. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, the better chance of rain south and east of here. The high, 86. I'm James Fan on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's
4: 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports.
2: Back on Big News Report. I'm Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson and Justin Jones is our producer. I guess you saw this tweet from Tim Brando, who was with us yesterday. And in short, he said by not releasing a depth chart, Nick Saban is bullying Alabama's media and the local media. And I actually understand where he's coming from. But if Brando's going to scold Saban, he needs to scold Jimbo and Brian Kelly, too, because they haven't released one either. Here's the yeah. deal. Many many people, I, I know fans like to look at depth charts, but if you're a member of the media, that's critical info. And if you are a member of the media that's calling the game like an Eli Gold, <laughs> Lars... That is the first and most important document. Now, you receive a lot when you're preparing for a game, but you all it all starts and ends with a depth chart because you've got to be able to look down at that chart, see who's in, see who's coming out, and it is critical, but I'm pretty sure they're going to give one to Eli. In fact, he's probably already got one. He's already filled out his charts, but others that need the depth chart for stories or particularly for broadcasting purposes. I I don't like it, but I would go I would not go nearly as far as to say he's bullying anybody. He kind of bullies the local media anyway,
3: doesn't he? Uh, Every once in a while, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could probably label it that. Um, Michael Casagrande, our, our good buddy at uh, ale.com, has a really fun a uh, fun story about uh, the depth chart, and uh, he calls it Depth Chart Monday. Right, that's what it used to be. Uh, because just seconds before Nick Saban would step up to the podium, the sheets of paper would circulate through the press room, and uh, <laughs> and he wrote, "Rest in peace." Cause of death: annoyance. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was just a really clever line. Um, and uh, you know, Saban, he he threatened to do it last year. Right, Uh, um, when he uh, went on his sort of opening, um, it was, uh, it was. I think it was right before the season opener against Utah State, and uh, just uh, he just was annoyed with the questions. He was annoyed that how the players uh, reacted to the depth chart and um you know in, in in his mind it's always just sort of a, a a living breathing organism nothing is ever set in stone to use his phrase and um i think we're going to see more of this i mean it's just uh it, it's you know there are three teams in the sec that don't really step charts and uh i do think uh unfortunately it's just a one more thing that's going to be taken away from the media and i remember as a kid i, I loved just looking at the three deep or four deep and really just analyzing the different you know what what, what are different freshmen where are they and and uh I just, I really loved it. I mean, I would study the depth chart like it was, you know, a complex piece of art and just look at everything. And uh, I just couldn't get enough of, uh, you know, just trying to do my own little analysis as a as a 12 year old kid of, of different depth charts. But do you think, Matt, that this is really getting a lot of play nationally. Do you think that this is a story or is it, this is just, to me, it's a non-story to to be honest.
2: Well, he's preventing information that fans want, you know. But, you know, he has his reasons. Mike Rodak is with us from AL.com, and we'll let him jump right in on this. Mike, uh, first of all, how you doing? Life good? Doing well, yeah.
6: Do you use a depth chart? Uh, I sort of – it's one of those things where you already sort of know it, you know, especially as the season goes on. You kind of know Will Anderson's a starter, Bryce Young's a starter. Like, you – yeah, it's, it becomes background, um, later in the year. I think it's, you know, the most important week or the most important day of the depth chart is when it comes out. And they're still going by all everything I understand. There's still going to be a depth chart. It's just not going to come out until Saturday. Um, so that delays it by four days, but you know, there's still a depth chart reveal, so to speak, on Saturday. So, um, you know, I, I have a few thoughts on it. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, coaches are always looking for every little edge or every little tweak or, you know, improvement they can make. And in Nick Saban's mind, this seems to be one of the things that he can do better for his team or where his team could do better is not being distracted, as he said, by a depth chart the first week of the season. And by all accounts, it was an issue last year. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I think he's coming from, coming on it from, but it's, everybody still knows. The players are on the field. They know who's lining up with the first team. They know who's lining up with the second team. I think it's maybe more the public embarrassment aspect of it that this depth chart comes out and you see a guy's on the second team when everybody thought he's on the first team and um everybody's talking about it and there's news stories about it and there's questions about it. And I think that's what they are more concerned about than the actual um, what's on the piece of paper. And, and on our end, too, it's like... we don't need a depth chart. Like, again, we kind of know how things are for a certain extent, but um, it's just, it's one of those traditions too. It's one of those things that's always been around. Um, Like, you know, like Michael Casagrande said, there's always that day when they pass it out and it's just kind of part of the tradition and part of the routine. So, you know, I I don't think it's a big deal either way. I kind of see where they're coming from on it, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't think it's going to win them or lose them any games doing what they're doing.
3: Mike, I really appreciated how, uh, you finessed the question yesterday. of to coach Saban really about, about Dale Hill row. Yes. Um, would we, would we have witnessed, uh, an eruption of Mount Saban if you had asked him point blank, who's going to start a quarterback?
4: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, there's an
6: arc to that. Um, you know, I think, you know, certainly the expectation is Jalen Miller start, but um, you know, when you're asking the question, you, you know, in my standpoint too, it's like, I think I framed it as how has he proved since spring. So Saban's not going to look at it as, um you know, you're, you're trying to get him to reveal something. You're, you're assuming something negative or anything like that. And, you know, you kind of can take the question where he wants to go with it and, you know, sometimes you'll ask that question and he'll give a glowing answer on how the player has gotten better. I think that was the case yesterday. And then sometimes you'll ask that question and you'll not really give a great answer, which is kind of a sign that maybe that player hasn't improved. So that's kind of the way to get into the topic, um, without offering trigger words or kind of getting him off track. Cause you know, sometimes you say a certain word in your question to him and he'll really latch on to that. And it just kind of derails the entire conversation because he's focused on that one word or that one aspect of your question. And he's not really answering your actual question. So, um, again, yeah, I think through that, we're able to see that Nick Saban seems to be higher on Jalen Millro than maybe he was, you know, after the Texas a and game last year when he didn't seem to be all that high on him, um, which, through that, we can kind of surmise that, as we predicted, that Jalen Miller will probably start on Saturday.
3: And what do you think the plan will be? Do you have any uh, guess as to the order, we'll, we'll, and will we see all four, including uh, Dylan Lonergan?
6: I would be surprised to see all four. My expectation is to see at least two. Um, and I think, you know, obviously Saban, he was asked about that yesterday as well, about expectations about playing multiple quarterbacks going in I think he he said you know he doesn't have any expectations I think part of that is along to respect the opponent mantra um, we all saw what Middle Tennessee did to Miami uh, last year I believe it was and um, you know you don't want to get yourself into a situation where uh, you know the game's not going well against middle Tennessee and you're not going to play any backups because you really need to win the game. And then everybody's gonna say, well, you know, you planned on playing two quarterbacks, what happened? So he doesn't really want to back himself into that corner. That's how I interpreted that answer. But I would expect Ty Simpson to play at some point. Um, whether it's you know, dividing um series, I don't I don't think it's gonna be like back and forth between Milro and Simpson, but I think we could see Simpson maybe here or there early in the game and then maybe, you know, play the third quarter or something like that. Um in terms of the third guy, I wouldn't be shocked if the third guy gets in. I would be the biggest question for me is that is that third guy going to be Buckner or is that third guy going to be Bonner again? Um, you know, probably Buckner at this point, given he has more experience, you kind of want to see what you have in him. Um, but even then, you know, let's say a third quarterback gets into the game in the fourth quarter, 80% of the time, he's just going to be dropping back and handing the ball off to, you know, running backs. I don't know how much we're going to learn, but, um, I would say at least two quarterbacks. We'll see.
2: Mike, you cut your teeth. Um, Dealing with the coach that, um, that, Henry, uh, Henry, is that a good word for Belichick? Um, what is, yeah. he, is he, uh, Saban's a prince compared to Bill. Um, so on a local level, uh, does Saban treat, I'm asking you point blank here, does he treat the media okay?
6: Yeah, I'd say for the most part, you know, I think it's, it's a different, um approach that bill belichick takes he's um he's a man of few words you know especially when he's not wanting or not liking a question or not wanting to answer something he's just not going to say very much it's just kind of going to be a grunt and uh you know i don't know i'm not sure like it's very few words that will come out of his mouth nick saban if he doesn't like a question or he doesn't like in a particular situation is going to be more explosive and he's going to say a lot of words. He's going to get very angry. He's going to go on and on and on about it. Uh, So it's a much different approach kind of to the same situation. But, you know, I think in general, yeah, I mean, there's times when he kind of meanders and doesn't really want to talk about injuries or doesn't want to talk about, um, you know, depth chart questions. There's other times when he's giving pretty good answers and giving pretty good insight. Um, You know, I think the one thing i think people get wrong is you know they always say there's a ulterior motive or um you know he's always there's there's some secret uh point that he's trying to make to his players that might not be the truth like i i honestly think nick saban's very honest uh i think a lot of what he says is is the truth i don't think he's hiding things um and I don't think it's all part of some grand scheme to to send a message to his players all the time. I think that part of it gets overrated with them.
3: Mike on Saturday, Sam Hartman uh for the quarterback at Notre Dame, just uh, lit up Navy, 19-23, 251 yards, tied a school record for a debut with four touchdown passes. And then on Monday, he revealed that, uh, as we know, Hartman transferred from... Uh, Wake Forest. He revealed that Auburn was after him and Alabama was after him. Do you deduce anything from that that Alabama was going hard or it appears to have been going after Sam Hartman?
6: Yeah, I mean they were definitely in the quarterback market, and I think it would be a huge stretch to say that Tyler Buckner was their first choice. Um, I think that's you know that's, that's obvious to anybody. I don't think that's you know a big secret that. They probably put some feelers out on Drake May. You know, he wasn't in the transfer portal, but there's ways of finding out if if he would be willing to, if he wanted to go to Alabama. Tyler Van Dyke was another one at Miami. Sam Hartman would be another one. Um, Did they put out any feelers on Talia? I don't know. Like Alabama and Auburn were both pretty active in the quarterback market. Um, And it's like free agency in the NFL. You've got to put some calls out and see what people's prices are. And, um, you know, they were able to get Tyler Buckner to come at, whatever price it was. And, you know, at this point, it doesn't really seem like it's going to bear too much fruit for him. But um, I think if it was a Drake May or maybe even a Sam Harper who came in, then maybe that's that's your starter right now. Uh, maybe it's a different situation.
2: Our guest is Mike Rodak from AL.com, and we'll continue on the other side of this break.
5: Looking for
3: Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing, based right here in Tuscaloosa. Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you.
4: NLMS number 230376. From T-Town to the plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
2: Presented by Haley Sancine, Union Home Mortgage. And also want to mention Laura Lee Thompson, Ah. the Bama Broker. She sponsors some of our Alabama interview segments, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. I want to ask you, Mike, a little bit about uh, the Blue Raiders, uh, Middle Tennessee State. Uh, this is not your everyday run-of-the-mill patsy, or, uh, or pancake as it's called. Uh, this is a team that beat Miami last year. And do you need to get your
6: baby? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's he's in the background. Sorry about
2: no, <laughs> that. The, the, the more the merrier, especially with their children. But um, how good he's is he
6: today. Huh? Oh, buzzer. He, uh, yeah, yeah, Middle Tennessee is, uh, you know, I like think you said in the Miami game last year, but they're different than, you know, you think some of these cupcake teams, if you will, come into Tuscaloosa, it seems like a lot of the time, you know, they don't have a passing game that they're going to run the triple option and try to just run the ball all day. Uh, you know, Georgia Southern famously, and, you know, Mercer came in a couple of years ago. Not that Middle Tennessee is an FCS team, but they're totally different. I mean, they're a spread offense. Um, it's a lot of shotgun four wide receiver looks. It's somewhat like Mississippi State in that regard in, in terms of what their personnel is and uh, what they're trying to do offensively. So it's it's going to be a, a team that's going to try to throw against you. Um, and so I would expect Alabama to have five or six defensive backs on the field much of the game. Like this is not a game where you're going to see you know the big heavy fronts and um, three or four defensive linemen as sometimes you see against you know, these opponents. This is gonna be a more of a wide open offense than might try to run up tempo. They're gonna throw the ball down the field. Um so that's you know a different challenge I think. Um and you know sometimes that, that gets them a little bit. That up tempo offense, that spread offense has gotten Alabama sometimes too. So uh, that's what I'm interested in seeing. And there's there's gonna be a lot of defensive backs we're gonna see and kinda of get a chance to evaluate not only the six starters, if you will, but also you know, assuming this game gets to a point where we're gonna see a lot of backups, we're gonna see six backup defensive backs too. So it's um it's a good evaluation for guys like Caleb Downs and, you know, the transfers coming in, Jalen Key and Triamus and um, you know, freshmen like Tony Mitchell might maybe he'll get on the field. So that's really what I'm interested in seeing is, you know, kinda of how they stack up against that that passing offense.
3: Mike, I, I don't know if you're in the prediction business, uh, but uh, it's that time of year, as you know. Um, have you written a story or do you have thoughts on uh, who your four teams would be right now that will make it into the playoffs?
6: You know, I'm, I, I think sometimes people overthink those things. And, you know, maybe last year you can say TCU was a surprise. Nobody really had that at the beginning of the year, but I'm still one of those people who would be surprised if it's not. Georgia Ohio State Alabama Michigan um and that's you know two big ten teams two SEC teams but even last year for instance like were those the best four teams in college football like you can make a case like you could make a case that Alabama might have been a better team than TCU and might have played Georgia tougher if that you know ended up being a matchup so to me, those are still the best four teams in college football. Um, obviously, Alabama has something to prove against LSU this year. Um, you know, Michigan, and Ohio State play each other on the schedule, but as we've seen before, they can both get into the playoffs. So um, <laughs> it's hard for me just to get wild and crazy with the playoff. And I think college football is still very top-heavy in the sense that there's not a whole lot of teams competing truly competing for those those four playoff spots you know maybe there's a you know an oregon or texas or somebody a little bit different that squeaks in but i again at the end of the day for picking the four best teams i think those are still them
3: and how about the the acc um it's really kind of i I view it as a two-horse race between clemson and florida state and I, I like Clemson, and I think Clemson's got a shot to sneak into the playoffs. But uh, just your thoughts on, on the top of the ACC.
6: Yeah, you know, Clemson's interesting, a team that probably hasn't adapted well to the, the portal and kind of what college football has been the last couple of years and fallen off to some extent, but um, still talented, still have a really good coach, like still has every chance in the world to win that, that conference. Um but, you know, you can still see them tripping up as they've done the last couple of years a game or two. And you lose one game in the ACC and you're going to be in a tough spot to make the playoff. Um, same thing with Florida State. Let's say Florida State loses to LSU this weekend. All of a sudden, you know, they can still go undefeated, win the ACC, and with that one loss to LSU still be in a, a tough spot to make the playoffs. So um, that's kind of the state of that conference. And, it, you know, it hurts them a little bit that they're not considered anymore to be in that same category as the SEC and the big 10. And as we continue to have years and years go by and everybody keeps talking about the SEC and big 10 being the two power conferences, that's where I think the playoff teams are going to come from. If those people are sitting down in the room saying the best four teams are probably going to come from those two conferences.
2: Mike Rodak from AL.com is our guest here on big noon sports. Mike, uh, it is more than a given that Georgia is likely going to win the East. Who's your second and third in that
6: division? You know, I still think Tennessee is is a team to watch out for. I know everybody says, all oh, right, you know, they lost Tendon Hooker, they lost Jalen Hyatt. They lost some of that firepower they had offensively. But Joe Milton, capable as a quarterback, I mean, he's the, the path for him to get there has certainly been winding. But if you tell me at the end of the year that he's offensive player of the year in the SEC or – you know, first-team All-SEC quarterback. I don't want to be shocked. Like, I think he has that sort of talent, and Josh Heupel's system does seem to produce those sort of quarterbacks. So, you know, Tennessee's right there. Um, you know, after that, South Carolina, I think, is the trendy pick, um, you know, being a sort of top-25 team on, on people's radar right now. But it, it could be it could be them. It could be Kentucky. Um, it, it, they come along, and that, you know, is a sneaky – I Wanna to say tough road trip for Alabama, but that November trip up to Lexington is at least a little bit interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I think there's a four teams at the top of that division that, you know, I would I would think are in good shape. I don't love Florida and the direction they're going and obviously there's Vandy in the zoo, but it's it's probably gonna come down to Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, I'd say, for that number two spot.
2: Mike, uh, one more question, let's go. You know we got interviews coming up ah. here. Um, going back to Belichick and your days for it with e s p n and, and covering the Patriots, is there one particular meltdown uh that you can recall, or are there too many?
6: yeah, I mean he doesn't really melt down in the way that Sabin does like Sabin's just you know once he kind of gets on a roll it's it's hard to stop him um Belichick shuts down so much, and you know there's been obviously scandals up there and i didn't didn't really personally. I wasn't there for any of them. You know, Spygate was a few years before me, and then DeflateGate is a few years after me. But any of those press conferences after that, when and I, I've been there too. When you know the local TV station sends their investigative reporter, or you know, there's national NBC News type people. Anytime there's those sort of investigative questions, I mean, he just will give you absolutely nothing. That's just a sound coming out of his mouth. So it's not really a meltdown as much as it is him really turtling up and going into a shell
2: really interesting stuff mike good luck with your interviews not that you need it because you certainly know how to pose a question uh have a great day i hope your little girl feels a little bit better here sounds good thank you thank All you mike ben. mike rodak um i truly can say he's one of the best out there no question about it. He, he knows what he's doing, knows how to do it. Um, all right. Something happened in Major League Baseball last night that it made my jaw drop, uh, and not in a good way. I don't know if you've seen the video or not. It's very scarce, but it was scary. We'll talk about it in a minute on Big Noon Sports.
5: The next inside the locker room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson.
4: Tune in Wednesday. We will talk with Bill
5: Cameron at eight fifteen. We'll find out what's going on down on the Plains of Auburn. We'll also
4: discuss depth chart and the big game with Middle Tennessee coming up this weekend.
5: Inside the locker room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com
0: At 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky cloudy at times will maintain the chance of a few passing showers or a thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today 87, tonight's low 71. Tomorrow a mix of sun and clouds, the better chance of rain south and east of here. The high 8 I'm James Spam of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in
4: Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hope
2: you're having a good day. Next hour, the Mick. Mick Gillespie will join us. I certainly want to get his thoughts on what happened last night in the seventh inning at Coors Field. Ronald Acuna is right fielder. Ronald Acuna Jr. And he's standing there. And suddenly there's a fan next to him. And evidently he's trying to take a selfie. This is during the game, folks. He's trying to take a selfie with Ronald Acuna Jr. And, of course, security is there in a heartbeat. And they get that guy away. And then another fan... Comes over the stands in right field along the line and just comes flying up into the pile of humanity and knocks Acuna on his keister, knocks him down. And go to just Google Acuna attacked and and you'll get the video on it. But it's scary that people can get that access. You know what's really scary is that we have people in the world that think that's acceptable. It is not acceptable and it's it's horrible and it's scary and you think you know it on the other side of the large you really want to get what if they would had some kind of a weapon or you know uh i don't know how you make it more secure because it's pretty darn secure in most ballparks um that obviously wasn't the case last night but you know fan behavior is just getting worse and worse and worse Uh, Kind of uh, on a little bit of a funny note, if you watch the video to its conclusion, you'll see the second fan in a white shirt and a white ball cap literally being taken off the field as if he were a seven-year-old. He was literally, what's the term, screaming and scratching or screaming and yelling. Um, Man, he was fighting those security guards like he was really going to be able to get away. There were like two or three on him. But I've certainly made my opinion known, and I, I don't know anybody that would disagree, that that's just awful. And what's going to happen here is they'll uh, react by probably lowering consumption of alcohol, which they may stop in the seventh inning. Maybe that's why the guy was angry. I don't know. Uh, but the end result is they make it worse on everybody else. Um, they're going to probably end up having to put up fences, you know, the rush the field deal, uh, and certainly Acuna is not the first ball player to be rushed uh, in several different sports. But Lars, I know you just texted me and said it was just very very scary, and I think that's about as appropriate as it gets.
3: Yeah, it. Uh, the first uh, image that popped into my mind was Monica Seles, uh, the oh, uh, tennis the tennis player uh, getting stabbed in the in the in the back. Uh, as she was uh, during a, a, a crossover or during a break in the match at the I think it was the French Open but about three or four years ago I did a, a really long story on streaking right and, and and I use streaking as a general term not necessarily taking your clothes off although that still happens but uh, but just running onto the field and what happens to to uh, how can streaking change your life? And it, it turned out to be a really fun story, but there is also a very serious side to this because back in the eighties and nineties, you know, running onto the field for the most part was just viewed as harmless fun, right? And, and those caught were often let go without even being handcuffed. But uh, these are the days before Facebook and Twitter, you know, uh, it, 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 before social media, a person, you know, uh, flush with liquid courage could run in the buff at, say, Yankee Stadium on a Saturday night and then go to work on Monday morning without their bosses knowing about it. But now, now things are a little bit different. Um, if you do choose to run uh, onto a field and, uh, and especially if you are uh, – one, if you don't have your clothes on or you uh, are, don't even have part of some of your clothes on, you can be uh, charged with a um, – you can be uh geez what is it it's the you can be charged uh, yeah indecent exposure excuse me yeah indecent exposure and it can also land you on the sex offender registry in many states right uh and and also you know if you if you just run onto the field now you are going to be the water cooler talk in every office in your region because you will be outed on social media I mean, there's no, no doubt about it. You will be outed. And I remember I, I talked to this young, um, a young man who, uh, he, he didn't want to participate in the story. Um, and, but he allowed me to quote him and he said, I, did, I can't talk about what I did because I work at a conservative company and my bosses were livid when they found out about it on Twitter. And if I talk about it, they'll be fired. And then I also contacted a young woman who, uh, had disrupted a sporting event with a mad, with a dash onto the field. And she, she told me that she got death threats over social media. And so she was like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I just can't get into specifics of my story. And she's like, I didn't even think about the consequences. I just thought it would be fun. And then, you know, she went on to tell me that there were big consequences because now everyone knows what you did almost the instant you did it. And so, True. uh, you really, and it, you know, the common denominator is booze, obviously. Uh, and, and, and in some cases, you know, there are instances where it's pre-planned, but for the most part, it is, uh, a spur of the moment. Uh, decision fueled with alcohol uh, and it's usually not a good well it's never a good decision but um, I think the larger point I'm trying to make is that the stakes are just higher now because you can't just uh, anonymously get away with it because you you will be outed on social media
2: it's um, often I would think maybe 90% of the time it's uh, hey Bubba hold my beer um, You know, that that old saying, I'm going I'm getting ready to do something real stupid. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. But <laughs> you remember right, back... those are like
3: a uh, famous last words. Hold my beer. Yes. Watch this. Yeah. yeah. oh my God, That's exactly <laughs> right. But, you know,
2: <laughs> we've come such a long way from I, I think it was a, a pretty harmless deal. You remember Morgana?
3: Yep. Kissing Bandit. It was
2: kind of hard to miss her, by the way, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to go into great detail. But I think she kissed Pete Rose once, George Brett, maybe Tug McGraw. But, I mean, everybody knew what was coming, and everybody laughed about it. Even the players laughed about it. Nobody's laughing when two guys come in from the outfield and physically assault. Um, Although they didn't throw any fists or anything like that. uh, But... Acuna did end up getting knocked down, and a situation like that—you imagine uh, if he'd gotten hurt and couldn't play—I mean, I would think you could own those people's houses and cars and whatever else they wanted to go after. And they may still. What do you think they'll do to him?
3: Oh, they'll—I'm uh, sure they spent the night in uh, in jail, and they're going to have to appear in court, uh, face a judge. And, uh, it depends on, you know, what the judge wants to, uh, to charge them with. Um, so, but going back to the, to the piece that I wrote. I framed it around this guy named Jimmy Long, and I didn't know we were going to talk about this today, but it, it's an interesting story. Uh, I framed it around Jimmy Long, who was a, uh, a, a veteran of, uh, of, of, uh, of the Iraq, of, of Iraqi war. And when he came back home, he really, he was struggling with the depression and, and he had just big, big time sort of post deployment issues. And he had trouble, you know just had had trouble reintegrating and so he just he he felt this and he had suicidal thoughts, and he felt this this kindred he felt a closeness to other veterans and so what he did during the Army navy game is he uh he 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 planned this out. He wrote the number 22 on his back. It was spray painted. He had a buddy spray paint the number 22 on his back. And the 22 represented the number of veterans who commit suicide every day. And so he ends up running, he he goes the full length of the field during the Army-Navy game. President Trump is there. um, And he got a, a ton of exposure. So you know what happened after this? is he becomes sort of this like celebrity among veterans because of what he did. And this streak, it gave him a sense of purpose in his life because people reached out to him and saying that they're struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And and it, it absolutely changed his entire life because he decided to make a stand for all veterans and publicized the fact that that a lot of people are struggling and that's why again the number 22 uh was on his uh was uh, spray painted on his back but he ran the length of the field and then he came back and ran the another length of the field and he was so tired after running 200 yards he's like gosh can't they just come and tackle me now (laughs) but you know they he got thrown in jail And uh, he uh, he had to uh, appear in court Uh, and because he was a veteran, though, the uh, the judge just, uh, you know, she just gave him a slap on the wrist, like really nothing. But uh, that so that to me, you know, you don't ever want to advocate someone running onto a field. But, you know, there was a higher purpose in what Jimmy in what Jimmy Long did that's a very
2: compelling story and one i had not heard sounds to me like they should have lined him up a tailback in the wishbone <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> give him the football
5: <laughs>
3: yeah uh, he was great i, I just uh he lives up in uh, uh tennessee small town in tennessee and i i went up there and and we just we met and we had a couple beers. And, Man, we talked for about five hours, and he just told me his whole story. And you know, it's, it's stories like this. Like, like Jimmy and I became friends, and I still am in touch with him to this day. Uh, and and you know, he's very grateful that uh, that I wrote it, and it got uh, a lot of expo- exposure. I think got over a million reads on Bleacher Report and CNN. Um, so. Uh it's 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 always cool to do stories like that Matt where it's you end up sort of enriching your own life because of who you met and and the relationship spills over beyond just uh the the story that appears.
2: Well, then here comes my obvious question. When's he going to be on?
3: <laughs> hey, uh man, we should have him on. That's a great yeah. idea. I, 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 would, I will. I, like I will text him.
2: That. You did a, an incredible job, I, and I will. I will read the prose uh, eventually here. But you did a great job of verbalizing it on radio and streaming. But to hear his first hand account uh, and what the uh, the effect was. Uh,
3: Let's. Uh, i I'll, I'll, uh, I'll text him here and you know maybe we could have him on for an extended time tomorrow to to talk about it because it is it is utterly fascinating and and i skipped over a lot of all the skipped over a lot of detail here um but it was just uh it's it's it was a fun story but yeah i'll uh i'll effort to get jimmy long on tomorrow
2: if you'd like to join the party, call us at 205-342-9904. We'll break and come back just a tad after one. This is Big News Sports. Hey,
3: this 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow truck, law enforcement
5: and first responders working along Alabama's roadway.
7: We're
2: making improvements and helping our
4: communities stay connected.
7: We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe too. Alabama's move over law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashlights lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow down. Visit drivesafealabama.org
6: brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association and this station.
5: Go inside. The Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show.
2: Hey, it's Gary Harris coming up Wednesday on the Gary Harris Show at 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 FM. Matt Coulter with the NASCAR report as we enter the NASCAR playoffs. Can't wait for that. And Andrew Bone, bad of the bone, will join us for the Bama football recruiting report. That and more.
5: Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide 100.9.com.
0: WTUG HD2 Northport and W 5 CJ Tuscaloosa A
5: Town Square Station. One man to beat you about first Touchdown Alabama Tide
0: 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app
4: More Big Noon Sports coming up Uh
1: I don't have any expectations for that right now I mean, you know, we're going one day at a time And, um, you know, we're repping the players. And even regardless of what happens in this game, it's the same thing that I told you guys before. Just because whoever starts in the first game, that doesn't mean that you don't have to continue to compete and play throughout the season because the competition doesn't end with the first game at any position, including quarterback. So, um,. You know, my expectation is, is what can we do to get them better today uh, so that we can play better the next day and the next day. And then when the game comes, we'll be playing as well as we can. We need to be playing to create value for themselves as players, as well as uh, our team to be able to have success.
2: That's Nick Saban on what else but the quarterback room at the University of Alabama. Lawrence, do you see anywhere in the next, you know, three, four games uh, somebody will break away? Or is there an off chance that they actually do play a couple of quarterbacks?
3: Well, I, I think one quarterback will ultimately... You know take the reins and win the team right to use Nick Saban's uh, phrase and it really makes a lot of sense and we we've seen that happen repeatedly throughout the the Saban era um and I, I was just trying to think of uh, of has the two quarterback system ever really worked in college football or has it ever really worked in pro football I think uh in in the NFL um gosh I go back to uh uh who was it it was Miami uh with Don Strok and David Woodley <laughs> with Don Shula right because Tracy was hurt <laughs> yeah yeah right but it just uh it, it usually just doesn't work I mean it, you know uh I, I just usually you just you want one guy to be the leader right you want to take ownership of the team and and uh and i i i just i anticipate it's going to be jalen milrow i that that is my my guess um just from and it is purely a guess i mean nobody knows because nobody knows how everyone is going to play once the whistle blows in a in a live game you know it's just the the intensity ratchets up i mean you know uh, anyone who's played sports knows that uh, practice even a, a, a scrimmage of any sort whether it's a basketball or soccer or uh, you know anything uh any sport it's just different when it's game day right when when it, when it matters uh, the, the, everything is just, it happens quicker and there is more physical and everybody's more, uh, focused and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's almost just like a completely different animal. And so you, uh, you just have to see who responds best to that environment and, I uh, and who, I mean, I think after Texas, we'll have clarity. I really do i mean i think that that is when a quarterback is going to win the team because the quarterback whoever it is in that game is going to have to play well for alabama to win that game i mean i I think we all agree uh that that uh quinn ewers is uh, a terrific quarterback for texas i mean he may be the best quarterback that alabama faces all year um and uh he will present some challenges to that Alabama defense and so you would think that Alabama is going to need to score some uh points in that game right um and who's who's the best at you know managing the game who's the best at taking care of the ball and eventually i mean you can call like you know someone like AJ McCarron a game manager all you want but you know what when he needed to make a play he made a play Right? I mean, there, there are just times that you, especially you, when they yeah, cut you cut him loose. Yeah. 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 And you, you just got to let it rip and you got to take some chances and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, you have to take calculated chances, I guess, but, and it all happens so fast, but I, I, I don't. I mean, okay, well, what's your opinion? Do, do you think you well, could go a whole season with playing two guys? I mean, especially if it's two guys with different skill sets?
2: Well, oh, I, I go back to the adage I may have, you know, blurted out yesterday or last week's, and if you have two quarterbacks and you really have none, um, I'm a big believer in the one-quarterback system. And you just asked a question a minute ago, can you name me a team that successfully used two quarterbacks? The only one that immediately came to mind was uh, was Florida. Is, does that count with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: But I, I mean, that's
3: it's a tough I mean, question. Uh, and, ne- Nebraska won a national championship with Brooks Berringer and Tommy Frazier when Tommy Frazier had uh, blood clots, and uh, they man, played both. They good. played both of them. Oh, Tommy Frazier, is in my mind. He's the best college football player of all time. But I'm of biased. all time. Oh, yeah.
2: Really? He won back-to-back national championships, didn't he?
3: Yep. Uh, I think he's still running against uh, Florida and uh, <laughs> uh, you would, Steve Spurrier. Uh, you
2: would put Tommy Frazier ahead of Stetson Bennett the four. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, they do have one thing in common. <laughs> they, they both won two national championships as starting quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, no, what it, did he it,
2: do? In a, did he have any type of NFL career? None. I really don't remember. No. He didn't go play safety or something. Uh,
3: nope. No. Nope. He. Uh, I think he went to Canada uh, for a little bit, and um, he's. I think he was back in Nebraska uh, as a coach in. Uh, I think high school. He's gained a lot of weight. Uh, he's a he's a he's a big man now, but um, but I'll yeah, always. Back when
2: Osborne
8: yeah.
3: was running the Veer. Uh, yeah, the option, the trip. Yeah, the option. Yeah.
8: I have oh. a quick question for you guys. Do you think that Alabama's offense with Jalen and Tua could technically be called a two quarterback system? It's just we were beating mm. people so bad for we two didn't games. Have switch. <laughs> <laughs> for two games. Yeah, I guess you're uh, right. A, a ch- championship
2: and an SEC championship. Yeah, yeah, and, and both had significant contributions that led to Alabama's win. Uh, so, yeah, I think for a little while, um, I really can't remember an Alabama system that uh, they used to. I think maybe in the early 80s it was uh, Don Jacobs and Walter Lewis. Maybe Alan Gray was in there. Um, Alabama was the one that the wishbone uh, back then. So uh, they would run in a few different quarterbacks, but they always had a starter, always had a
3: starter. Justin, when you look back at that Alabama team that uh, with Tua in the the, uh, second and 26, um, the walk-off touchdown for the national championship, who in your mind is the starting quarterback of that team?
8: Leading up to second and twenty six, it's it's Jalen um, all year, right?
3: Yeah, all I year, mean, but, exactly. but I mean, in, but in your memory, it's like, well, that was that was Tua that yeah. won the national uh, yeah. championship. I mean, with
8: what Tua did in the, in the Natty, you you forget about everything before. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so, really, it's it's Tua you think of, but I mean, Jalen Hurts got us there. So, you're I mean, yeah, it's it's. It, it kind of blows away everything else when you do the one play to win the ring. <laughs> yeah, the, it yeah. When, when
3: when you author the greatest single play in college football history, um, <laughs> you know when the stakes are the highest, and and you would just deliver a, a, a beautiful throw to future Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver. Yeah, you're going to be remembered for that.
8: <laughs> in my eyes, the thing that the year after, where Tua started, though, it was almost like baseball. Like uh, we, our starting pitcher was Tua, and then, I mean, we were up by fifty regardless of the game. Uh, but then we would bring in Jalen Hurts to, you know, close
2: us out with the fastball. It's called mop up. <laughs> if you're up by that much, you just go out there and throw strikes. You know, <laughs> let's let's get outs. But the the different situation with with that example is that was not by design. That was uh, by necessity. Um, they did not go into those games thinking we're going to play two quarterbacks. Would you all agree? Uh, yes.
3: Yeah. Definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah, there is some quarterback news at Ohio State. You know, Ohio State is dealing with the same issues that, that Alabama is. And, uh, and, and they uh, Ryan Day announced uh, just this morning that they're going to go with Kyle McCord. Um, who uh, um, who's a junior, but he's also going to play Devin Brown uh, during Saturday's game, and I think it, like it, uh, and it, you know it's interesting because Ohio State and Alabama their their situations just mirror each other because C.J. Stroud was what the number two overall pick after Bryce Young went number one, and uh, and so. Uh, Ryan Day is uh, is uh, again dealing with the same issues that that Nick Saban is, but according to Day, that uh, it, it, it it's going to be McCord uh, just because he has shown more consistency. But but Day is not naming a starter for uh, game two. Like it, it's it's a, it's you got to go out there and perform. Just like Nick Saban is asking his guys to uh, to do that in Game One.
2: Did Ryan Day have a depth chart?
3: Yes, yes, Uh, I believe. Uh, Yeah, Uh, yes, yeah. No, I think yeah. He He did put a depth chart out.
2: (laughs) All right. Uh, When we get back, we'll talk to the one and only Mick Gillespie. Uh, Talk about that baseball. Incident last night with the Atlanta Braves. Of course, we'll talk a lot about Alabama football too. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage.
5: If you're
3: That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. On the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach
5: Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson.
4: Tune in Wednesday. We will talk with Bill Cameron at 815. We'll find out what's going on down on the plains of Auburn. We'll also
5: discuss depth chart and the big game with Middle Tennessee coming up this weekend. Inside the locker room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. On Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Work is a part of all of us. Working
0: drives us to push beyond what we thought was imagined and allows us to come together again for the things that really matter. That's why the Alabama Department of Labor and the Alabama Career Center System is here to help you discover bigger opportunities than ever before. Visit your local career center or alabamaworks.alabama.gov. Funding provided by the USDOL, PTA, and Federal WIOA. An equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request. Brought to you by this station, the Alabama Broadcasters Association. Tide 100.9. Tuscaloosa weather. The sky cloudy at times will maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 87. Tonight's low, 71. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds. The better chance of rain south and east of here. The high, 86. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9.
4: It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
2: Alabama-related interviews such as the one to follow with Mick the Mixter, Mick Gillespie, are brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker from Advantage Realty Group. Mick, where are you today? We are, You're like, where's Waldo? Where's Mixter? <laughs> I'm in uh, East Tennessee today. Got a little baseball, but I'm telling you what, Friday, I'm going to be at Innisfree
7: Friday night, and we'll get this thing going, man. It's
2: football time. Yeah, as a matter of fact, good time to plug that. Appreciate you brought up. Lars and I are going to be doing our Friday shows at guess where? It's all about the free,
3: free. Yeah. Yes. yeah. All about
7: the free.
2: Nice. Have you have you had their it. nine dollar ninety nine cent meat and three? Have you had their lunch yet? Yeah, you know, I, I'm a wings guy. There, the uh, I love the the uh, the golden uh, barbecue sauce, the golden Irish sauce, or whatever
7: they call it.
2: It's great. Well, we'll see you Friday in person. Um, we got to start with baseball. What happened with Ronald Cunha Jr. last night at Coors Field? Uh, just your thoughts on it, and are there is there a way to prevent this? Yeah, I mean it's kind of
7: scary, you know. I was at a game one time um, to see Cal Ripken Jr. and uh, and the Orioles, and, and some fans from Cuba jumped out on the field, and um, you know and had a sign, and it was like a political protest, you know. And um, and you're always worried, you know, something's going to happen. I, I met a guy named Brick Monday who played for the Cubs, and he was in a game against the Dodgers and some people that didn't like our country were going to burn him.
2: I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we
7: talked a lot about it. You know, I'm very patriotic, you know, and I I love America. So, you know, I I just told him how I thought that was really awesome that he ran by and grabbed the flag. And then, you know, it's kind of a famous moment for baseball fans, you know. like, And he ended up going to the Dodgers, and he's still there as a broadcast. So... They're scary moments. I don't know if, I don't know what you can do to prevent stuff like this. Thank God it wasn't anything crazy other than just, you know, I mean, nobody was attacked. I mean, there was a time, you remember the time where the Royals' first base coach got jumped by two
4: fans?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Father, son? Yeah. Oh.
4: But I don't know what you do.
2: You put up a hooligan mask or the hooligan plexiglass that they do at soccer stadiums in Europe. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't want to see it come to that, but it may be the answer. Um, It it won't be very fan friendly because people like this are ruining it for everybody. By the way, one, one more. What distinction does Rick Mundy hold that no one else ever will? It concerns baseball. Um, I don't know what he was the first player ever drafted. Really, yep, I'm pretty sure I'm I got that, that right. Yeah, well, I just La- didn't know that. Lars
3: will look it up real quick. <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna say he's the only Monday to hit a home run on Monday. Uh,
7: yeah, I, I know, yeah, I thought so
3: too. Um. Mick, have you uh, have you seen this happen in minor league parks, or is this just mostly at the major league level? When you have fans running out on yeah. the field?
7: Yeah, I had one, There was one game, one Smokies game years ago where a guy ran out on the field and we, they, you know, and ran around and they, they got him off the field, and there was a debate in the front office, you know, whether to prosecute or not, and you know, I, I was i like, hey, look, you know, you got to prosecute the guy because you, you can't accept that type of behavior, you know, even though it, it was funny and I know that it didn't mean anything by them than just to disrupt the game and get a laugh. Uh, I was at an LSU-Alabama game, and one of their fans jumped out and mooned us. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. It was before Saban got there, so it was back when LSU used to beat Alabama on the regular. Uh, you know, it was they all laughed. I'm sure that guy went to jail. But I I don't know. I just don't know. um, You know, you don't want to turn it into a police state. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't want to make it feel like it's not a comfortable, safe environment. So uh, these things are kind of, um, you know, they're rare. Uh, Although I'm sure you guys remember the kissing bandit that used to jump out in baseball. What was her name? Martell, Morgana. Or something?
3: Morgana, Organa,
7: that's right, yeah. And, uh, and she was featured on This Week in Baseball. So I guess it all depends on the type of running out on the field that you're doing and what your uh, goal is to accomplish. I mean, she was just out there. Um, and people loved it when she ran out there. I think the players even
5: loved it.
3: Yeah do you remember when the uh Cincinnati Bengals fan ran onto the field and stole the ball from Brett Favre? <laughs> no <laughs> and then, no and then he, he absolutely just got obliterated by security. Um as a as an announcer in in your you know not not necessarily on television, right? But like how do you handle a situation like that and, and how should television handle a situation like that?
7: Yeah, well first that reminds me of a story my father told me, being a Baltimore Colts fan. Um I guess somebody ran out and tried to steal the football from the Colts. And Artie Donovan, who you know, the, the I yeah. think he's I think he's a late great Artie Donovan at this point, but one of my my father's favorite players lit the guy up and my dad thought that was awesome. He loved it. He he just <laughs> like he would tell that story and I think I heard him say, you know, telling people a lot, you know, how how he liked that. But when when I'm announcing a game, uh, I'm calling I'm calling the action. You know, I saw I remember where Kevin Harlan was doing like the play by play, you know, someone running out on the field. It was pretty funny. I'm the same way. I think you, it's entertainment. I look at what I do every night as entertainment. I try to be entertaining. I try to be funny. Um, I try not to take things too seriously. Now, if I saw a guy trying to burn an American flag, it'd be different. Um, you know, but I guess it all comes down to the situation. Uh, you know, I know on um, on TV, they just don't show the guy. And that might be a smart strategy, too. But if, you know, if it was me, I'd probably just show him. And, you know, because, I mean, what, somebody's going to have it on your video phone you anyway. So you might as well get the views.
3: Yeah, and um yeah, yeah I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. I, I, I've i written a long story about fans running onto the field, and it can be somewhat comical, and it actually can change change lives, but uh, we we sort of covered that. But all right, let's move real on to Albert. Real quick, yep.
2: I'm sorry to interrupt. Mike Curtis was the linebacker for the Colts that leveled that fan. Oh, Mike um, Curtis, okay,
7: yeah, yeah. Number 32,
2: yeah. You can still find that video. It's hysterical. I guarantee you that guy never did it again.
3: Anyway,
2: I just had to get that little piece of trivia in. Oh, no,
3: that's good. That's good. Um, Mick, uh, much has been made in the national media about Nick Saban not releasing a depth chart. Uh, Your thoughts. Is this this much ado about nothing or is it actually a legitimate gripe that uh, reporters are having?
7: Yeah, you know, I, I was watching the press conference, and I heard him saying that he wasn't going to release the depth chart. And then I heard him explain why, and then I thought of um, Alabama media relations and uh, the struggle that I'm sure they have trying to work with, you know, Coach Saban, who's definitely set his ways, and the media that they're there to work with, you know. We need a depth chart. And I understand that he's he doesn't want players transferring, and he's everything he said is actually right. I mean, once you put a death chart out, now all of a sudden, you know, somebody's feeling good, somebody's not feeling good. He's right. Everyone knows who's going to play. They know who the better players is part. But at the same time, um, and, and this is something that I've noticed with Alabama and not with other schools, though, I, I just feel like a lot of times, Like going to SEC media days and the head coach doesn't take the time to talk to you guys or talk to somebody at Tide or, you know, or go to some, you know, a station that covers the team in Huntsville or in Montgomery or wherever, you know, that, that those are the opportunities that, you know, you're supposed to have as a media person to feel like you're being rewarded for covering that team every day we've gotten to the point with Alabama where they really don't care. I mean, like, whatever we're doing on a local level is that important to them, in my opinion. And throwing out a death chart is kind of along those same lines, you know. It's, uh I, I cover the Cubs, you know, and, and I know that's a pro team, you know, but it's also a team who has a huge fan base like Alabama does and a lot of fans and I understand the challenges there, but we we need a depth chart. I mean, if you're if you're covering the game, you know you need a depth chart. You, it, it's something that we've always you know that's that's kind of been part of the game. And then the, the the other side part of this, and this isn't the first time that we haven't gotten a depth chart or they've been you know not wanting to give it out. Um, but what happens in the state of Alabama? And thank God I don't do high school football broadcasts anymore. But you would go and do a high school broadcast, and because Nick Saban doesn't get out give out a depth chart then you're playing against, you know, I don't know, some other team in the state, and now they don't want to give out a depth chart because, you know, whatever Nick Saban does is what everyone else follows, you know, so it makes our job a lot tougher, and when you're doing play-by-play on top of that not having a depth chart, uh, it becomes even more difficult. So, you know, I, I just wish that, that maybe they would move a little bit more towards um, appreciating and catering to the media that is uh, that is covering them on a daily basis but but the way that this thing's trending is you know the SEC owns the SEC network. well they don't have don't get a death chart and uh, and and don't think they won't and um you know, and they'll get the interview with Nick Saban but the local guys, you know, good luck, you know, and I hope that changes.
2: I think we're trending the exact opposite direction. You can't watch practices anymore. You have to be careful. You can't ask certain questions in a certain way. and And the depth chart thing, and you can identify with this, particularly when you're doing football, what is the first and most important thing you can get from your team? A depth chart. That's what you make your charts out of. And that do right. you any good to get it Saturday morning because you can't do the mm-hmm. charts then. You got to do it <laughs> earlier in the week. But I imagine, like would you were saying with the SEC Network, I'm sure Eli has one.
7: Well, I mean, you would hope you'd hope so. And Chris Stewart, you know, when he's doing the game. But I mean, you understand what I mean by that, though. I, and I and I know it's probably tougher for you guys because you know you you got a radio show in Tuscaloosa and. and And you know how feelings get hurt, and I'm sure I'm hurting somebody's feelings at media relations, and I don't mean it personal. You know, it's not directed at anyone. It's just when Auburn's coach is going everywhere and talking to everybody, you freeze, and you get a press pass if you need one at Auburn, um, and they're everywhere, you turn around, and then your coach doesn't want to give you a depth chart, doesn't want to do an interview. It's like, you know what, the guy's not gonna be there forever. Don't burn those bridges. It's really important outside of the winning and losing to establish great relationships in the media. Ask Mike Shulwell.
3: Yeah, and um, uh, of course, you know, the number one topic is uh, quarterback situation at Alabama pertaining to the depth chart. What do you think we're going to see on Saturday night at Bryant-Denny?
7: You know, here's what I'm, my intel telling me. Um, I'm looking for Jalen Milrow to be the guy that takes the ball first and um, he's got the experience. I think he's had a good camp, from what I understand. Tyler Booker is going to be the guy that's pushing for that job. Um, he, he's taken the experience that he had at Notre Dame. He's smart. Uh, he gets the offense. That's helped him out a lot. He's really grown into the system. And Ty Simpson's got to keep working hard. He's got to make better decisions throwing the football. Um, he's got a lot of talent. But the game speed right now is something that he's going to have to improve on.
2: Hey, can you hang through the break, Mick? Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Uh, we've got several other things we'd like to talk to you about. Mick Gillespie is on Big Noon Sports, along with Matt, Lars, and Justin. Got a, uh, got a question I want to pose to you guys about the popularity, if I'm using the right word, of Nick Saban around the planet, Italy. We'll get to that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports.
5: Built to win. Touchdown Alabama. Built for championships. Throws
4: intercepted
5: Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. Saturday as the Crimson Tide kick off the 2023 season against MTSU. Our coverage begins at 3.30 on your home for Alabama football. Presented by the Birmingham Racecourse
4: and Casino, I-459, Exit 31. You could be a winner too. This is the Big Noon Sports Network.
2: Big news, sports, Alabama-related segments and interviews are brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker, Advantage Realty Group. Hey, uh, speaking of sponsors, let's start this segment because I know you want to give a shout out to one of your sponsors, and we already have the Ennis Free. We will all be there Friday afternoon and evening, and um, wanted to uh, make sure that you got a plug in for your folks. Now
7: look, I don't do this often, but this one's really cool. Um, one of the things that I loved about, you know, being a student at Alabama was how you would go into all the restaurants and, and businesses around town and they'd have those Daniel Moore prints from New Life Art and NewLifeArt.com. And I remember my first one, and you guys probably have them in your house too. The first one I got had Tank Connerly on there, the old equipment guy. It had Mike Dubose in the background. It was Gene Stolling's last game, you know, and I was so excited when I got it put up in my house. And now I have a ton of really cool ones. But they're having a 23% sale right now. It's the biggest sale they're going to have all year. It ends on Sunday. Bama tailgate, if you want to get your own. But I'm just, I mean, you guys have those things. They're the best, man. I mean, like, it's so oh, exciting. Whether it's, yeah, I mean, like, and, and right now with, with you know, Bama tailgate, uh, it's 23% off all of them except the new one that hasn't come out yet. So uh, it's the time to do it. Do you have a favorite? Uh man, you know what? I, I think the the one when we won in the swamp in '99—that was my senior year. Sean Alexander, I, I, I that one has a special place in my heart. Uh, I've got one that Snake Stabler signed. You know, we worked with Snake over at Crimson Time Sports Network and run in the mud. I, that one too. That one's the that one's in my house. The rest of them are in my studio, and I've got like one of each of the championship prints. And, and and to go to those games and then have the print, you know, that's kind of something else that I really. <laughs> so I guess it, it's just one of those guilty pleasures for me. You know, I walk by. I remember sitting with uh, Cheryl Yingling at the fifty-yard line of the LSU game, and we never saw our LSU out by the fifty. You know.
2: <laughs> I think most Alabama fans would probably say goal line stand, and I think that might have been his first effort. <clears throat> or it wasn't, it's pretty close to the first. Um, and I think it was because of the newness, the prints, you could kind of reach out and grab a piece of that game. And uh, moving forward now, you would have to have a 10,000 square foot home to have all of them. <laughs> oh, man, I, and, I, I you know, have I've so got, many. I've got some that aren't Alabama, too. You know, he just done some great prints for Auburn. Both. Oh, yeah, yeah. Incredible. I wouldn't have those. <laughs> uh, those don't make
7: would. my wall, but I did have a friend come over one time and tell me that my house looked like the bride's used and I and I was you know that was a compliment to me, you know. So now twenty three percent off of those prints, I mean that's a, that's a great deal, and it's the only time they're going to do it. So uh, BAM at Sailgate or Nick Gillespie, either one when you go on there, but. Uh, I, I hope that everyone gets that same feeling that I get when I get a new one. You know, I, I just put it up and then I got to keep looking at it. <laughs> like I'm like a little kid.
3: Hey, Mick, um, this is uh, prediction week for every reporter in the country who covers college football. So I just want to run through the conferences with you and just get your uh quick, quick analysis. Uh ACC seems like a two-horse race between Clemson and Florida, Florida State. Who, who are you taking in, in the ACC?
7: Yeah, look, it, it is a two-horse race, and Clemson's going to win that race again. This is going to be another one of those uh, great seasons for Davo, but that Florida State game uh could be – could be epic. We'll see. I'm not ready to put Florida State there yet, and I'm definitely not taking Clemson. I thought Clemson, even though they lost to Tennessee in the bowl game, I I really thought Davo did a great job coaching last year with some issues on offense. And I think that he realized, you know, he had to make some changes on offense, on his coaching staff, and he did that. I look for them to be the champion of the ACC.
3: Big Ten, Uh, this seems to me really like a three-horse race. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Can Michigan uh, beat Ohio State on November 25th and uh, win their third straight Big Ten championship?
7: I grew up listening to Penn State on the radio. They were so big, I was from, you know, back when Joe Pott was there. And, and I, and I, and I kind of, I don't want to say I'm full for them, but they, but the fact that they have full uniforms and, you know, and the nostalgia, I, I do always kind of hope that they're going to get into the mix, but I, it's not going to happen. It's going to come down to Ohio State and Michigan. Michigan has physically manhandled Ohio State at the line of scrimmage the last two years. There's a lot of pressure on, uh, Ryan Day to win this football game and, uh, uh Jim Harbaugh. Hey, look, I mean, got into the playoff and it didn't go the way that they wanted to. He's going to miss the game. I, I just think there's a lot of distractions there for Michigan, and I'm going to take um, Ohio State to win and Michigan to come
3: in second. Big 12, uh, really, uh, you got Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Oklahoma. I certainly lean Texas.
7: Yeah, I do, too. I mean, I, and I'm buying into the hype. These the, these Texas teams, you know, like Texas a and last year, you you see the talent that they have, and you know that they come from a state of high school football. Uh, and the coaching's there. We all know about Sarkeesian. But they've got to go out there and execute. Um, one of my buddies thinks that they're, you know, Ryan Brown, he thinks that Texas is going to win the, the league and get into the championship, you know? So if that happens... Mm-hmm. And that means they come to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. So I, I don't I don't I'm not ready to do that with them yet. I will say that they leave though on high note and um they win the conference.
3: And in the Pac twelve, there's actually quite a bit of parity at the top. Uh USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon, and even Oregon State. I think Oregon State's gonna have a really good year. Um, but you know, with Caleb Williams re- reigning Heisman Trophy winner who looked great in week zero against subpar competition, uh, I, I lean USC in the Pac 12. But I think Pac 12 will be, it'll, it'll be fun to watch because there, there are, there are some quality teams out West.
7: Well, I mean, I, I was watching the game and I know it's only the first game that USC played, but the, um, KA flags football team when I was in college, uh, and Alabama played better defense. And what I saw, and I know they won, but <laughs> they, they weren't that impressive, but they have the talent. You know, it just always looks like all they want to do is just play offense. And I think at some point you got to play defense, but it's just hard to bet against them. Heisman trophy winning quarterback, you got the coaches, you got the money out there. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if, uh, if, if Utah doesn't kind of throw a wrench into this
3: and finally the sec which we talk about every day um do you is it georgia alabama lsu can they sneak in there in uh, tennessee rise up again what do what, what are your thoughts in the, both the east and the west and ultimately who wins in the sec championship game now,
7: georgia's got a schedule that's paper saw uh yeah, paper set i mean they're going to run right through that schedule so even if Tennessee beats them, I don't think that Tennessee is going to – because they're not going to beat Alabama again. They're going to lose another game along the way, if not more. Um, I, I I think they'll be – Tennessee could potentially be better this year overall than they were last year and have a worse record. Uh, but Georgia plays a, a schedule that it, – it's a joke. I mean, it's it's just – it's not really even competitive compared to what any of the teams in the West are playing this season. But because of that um, – they're going to win probably all their games. And like I said, maybe they lose to Tennessee. So I'm putting them in the SBC championship game and in the, in the West, it's going to come down to, I think three teams, not two Alabama, LSU, and I'm going to, I'm falling into this trap, trap again, but Texas A&M. I look at all the talent that the Aggies have and now they got a new offensive coordinator. I think that the heat is on right now. And honestly, look, don't think that the offensive coordinator doesn't have his eye on that head coaching job, you know, and that big buyout is not. Oh. So I that that sometimes that mix can, can go one of two ways. You know, sometimes it goes the wrong direction, but sometimes it brings out the best in you to have competition. Um, but I'll tell you why I'm taking Alabama is that and I wanna say this because I know my aunt's listening, and anytime I say anything that could potentially be Negative towards Nick Saban, and I don't mean it that way. But the media thing—I know she's not going to be happy with me. Um, I love it. I love Nick Saban. First off, I wasn't trading for anyone in the world. I've long said what's good for Nick is good for Nick, and I love the <laughs> fact that he seems so confident and and relaxed. That tells me that this team is doing what he wants it to do. He's talking about uh, you know depth. Uh, offensive line play. I don't think the clock's gonna be as big of an issue as I initially thought after watching the first round of games. I mean you're only shaving off a few plays, but uh I I just don't think that Alabama's uh and Nick Saban are ready to, to, to be uh you know a second or third team in the in the West. And I think they get in there and and I think they beat Georgia handily for the S E C championship game. It's like old times. And I, I, I think they – hey, listen, I, I think they'd have beat them last year. And I've said that to you before, too. We would have had another Daniel Moore print that you could buy at, uh, you know, at the store Bama tailgate if Alabama would have got the opportunity. But they did. So hopefully that happens. But I'm I'm, I'm rolling with
3: the tie. Guys. And, and what, what four teams do you have in the playoffs?
7: Uh, Alabama and Georgia. You know, they're going to probably lose to Alabama. Uh, and then I would say Ohio State.
2: And USD. Yep, yeah, that's, that's exactly, exactly, that's exactly what bandwagon. I have. <laughs> I'm on the Trojans bandwagon too. I, I think there's another team. Uh, Brando talked about it yesterday, and then I've talked about it with several other people. That uh, I don't know if you'd call them a dark horse or not, but Texas Tech's going to play some pretty good football this yeah, year.
3: Yeah, yes. Keep an eye
2: Mick, have a great day. Uh, have a great broadcast, and uh, we will talk to you next week. And new life art, twenty three percent off. Thanks, guys. Roll time.
3: Thanks, Nick.
2: All right. I'm going to fire off that question about popularity in sports. When I get back, we get back on Big News Sports.
5: Weekday mornings at 6 a.m., the Martin Houston Show.
4: Join us tomorrow as we continue game week preparation for Alabama versus Middle Tennessee. We'll have a wild card Wednesday with a little bit of a would you rather Wednesday thrown in. We'll also have Scotty Hollins, executive director of Blueprint Ministry, with the Christian moment of the week.
5: Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather.
0: The sky cloudy at times will maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 87. Tonight's low, 71. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, the better chance of rain south and east of here. The high, 86. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
4: Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports.
2: Wow, we're deep into the fourth quarter. Thank you all for listening. Tell folks about BigNoonSports.com. You can follow us on Twitter. And, of course, you can listen to us daily in Anniston-Gadsden and in Tuscaloosa, our flagship station right there at Tide 100.9. All right, I'm trying to think of how I can word this, and if it comes out a little awkward, y'all live with me. And and by the way, Justin, I want you to key your mic and and throw in your contribution here as well. Uh, Who is right now the most quoted person in United States sports?
3: Right now, I'm going to say it's Nick Saban.
2: Justin, would you agree?
8: most quoted, like like most used. Yeah, like, you know,
2: you read the most quotes, you see them the most on television. Um, yeah.
8: Um, e- yeah, I, I could see Nick Saban, but I feel like that's not right. But I'll, I'll just roll with Lars, Nick Saban.
2: Well, uh, well I've been thinking about this is the top of the show and I keep trying to think of someone else and I can't. So, would you would you guys go as far as to say he is the most recognized person in sports?
3: Hmm, The most recognized person in sports. I'm probably yeah. going to go Patrick Mahomes.
8: I might go LeBron. I'd say like current player, it's LeBron easily.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, but for okay. coaches, yeah, absolutely, Nick Saban. Yeah.
2: And I can't think of a coach second. I mean, I mean, you could throw I, I re-
8: John Madden or Belichick. Um,
3: yeah, Belichick, Belichick
2: maybe at the NFL. He would be at the NFL level, but I still think across the country, Saban is more. You see more quotes and more sound bites from Saban than you do Belichick. And I'm, I'm almost positive of that I don't even have to do research. Well,
8: no, you, you're probably right because Belichick rarely even talks. So. <laughs> um,
2: and <laughs> when he does, he's so condescending. He just—it looks like he would rather, you know, have what we used to say, bamboo shoots under his fingernails. It just looks—it's so painful to just watch him be, you know, be mean. Don't be mean. Um, he's just—I uh, can't imagine. I need to go with Rodak a little bit. I can't imagine being on that beat.
3: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've never covered a team day in and day out, but, um, in talking to the best beat writers that have gone through Tuscaloosa, right? Over the last 10 years, um, they all tell me the same thing. Like they just, they love Nick Saban. Why? Because he talks and and he tells stories and he's animated and he you know it's it's he, he'll give you something to think about and something to write about like every single time i mean we're talking about a freaking depth chart right and that is yeah. national sports Absolutely. news depth chart and uh whereas in in mike rodak he 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 noted this uh You know, it's like trying to get blood from a stone to get Bill Belichick to say anything at all. And, um, you know, I'd still think of him as, you know, hey, we're, we're moving on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. You know, Nick Saban doesn't pull stuff like that. Um, and and I, I know Nick Saban can be intimidating when you're in that room, but the thing is, like he, he, he's introspective. And he is highly, highly intelligent and very articulate. And yeah, he has his own, you know, colloquialisms, just like we all do, uh, our own sort of pet phrases. But I've always said, like, you know, when you're, when Nick Saban starts talking about his dad in particular, listen because what he's about to tell you is something important to him. And if it's important to him, more than likely it will be important to, you know, everyone sort of listening to him. And I've always thought that, that Nick Saban is a person that you would want to cover. And, and you, and you can tell that. I mean, there are, there are reporters all around the country who would love to be on the Alabama beat. And it's all because of Nick Saban. And I I loved what Mick Gillespie said. When it's good for Nick, it's good for Mick. And the thing is, Nick Saban has made our jobs, uh, you know, uh, uh not necessarily easier, but, uh, it's become sort of just more high profile, right? I mean, if, uh, I don't think, uh, many people have written two books on Mike Shula, right? <laughs> I've written two books on Nick Saban. I still feel that there's ample material. Out there, and um, you know, that uh, a lot of different things to explore, and um, so that's just my my take on it. Well, you know, when people uh, assume that covering Nick Saban must be a horror show, in fact, it's the exact opposite. It's because he gives you so much, he gives a lot. When he
2: gets annoyed, he gives you
3: something, yeah. I mean, don't wouldn't you agree, Matt? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would. Uh, was 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 what was Bear Bryant like when in in, in press conferences? Oh, he Did,
2: could get re, he could get very gruff. You know, depends on what kind of mood he was in. He could be very very funny. He could sit after the news conference with a few select members of the media and uh, smoke Chesterfields. Um, but you know, uh, if you ask him a dumb question, uh, he'd likely hand it right back to you. Uh, there are a lot of similarities in these guys. I, I know, kind of from a physical stature, you know, from a stature that they're they're vastly different. Because Bryant was six four, and uh, he was a mountain of a man. Nick Saban's a, a smaller guy, but as far as their knowledge of the game, their ability to recruit, their ability to identify with families, ability to adapt and change with the games, one, two, three, four, they're all strikes or home runs, however you want to look at it.
3: Uh, between both of them. What would you say is the hallmark skill of Nick Saban? If you had to distill it into one sentence, what is it that Nick Saban does that's better than everybody else? Recruit. Absolutely. 100%. And that's
2: that he laid down the law the minute he walked into the doors.
1: Yeah. As he said I mean, it's all about it recruiting.
2: And you know what? You know what the answer is if you ask about Paul William Bryant? Recruit. Yep. I I was gonna say dancing. I mean we've all
8: seen the video <laughs> of the coach busting a move. He's pretty good.
2: Actually, from coming from a guy that can't dance at all, um he is pretty smooth on the dance floor. I'd love to say what song would here's the question of the day. What song would Nick Saban sing at karaoke?
3: <laughs> the Beautiful Ones by Prince. <laughs> That's an inside joke. I uh yeah,
2: I think now uh, we are not gonna detail. No, no, we're not <laughs> going to, in fact, I'm gonna move right along. Um I mean well, you think I don't know if he he would ever do it, but I'll uh I'll bet he'd do an Eagles song. Yeah. Like no more cloudy days, God! What a wonderful piece of work. Um, but Justin, what is he going to break out with?
8: Some MC Hammer? I think I think that's what I want to see. Some MC Hammer or some like Ice Ice Baby or something. You know, just to see how far he can push his skills
2: and really get moving. I've never seen any film of him play. Have y'all? Fun
3: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Karaoke. Yes, I've seen high school film. Uh, uh, black and white, flickering. Yes, um, it, it exists. Uh,
2: he was a quarterback and a DB. Y-
3: yes, yes.
2: Evidently was a pretty
3: good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. More uh, did he if, run If memory the pass, serves, or he, he, I think if memory serves, he he played against Joe Namath in high school, and I think he beat him. Are they? Are they? They're about the same age, aren't they?
2: Well, I think name is a lot older, you know. But I'd have to look it up. I don't know. You'll probably look it up before we get out of here. Hey, yeah, one more. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That that doesn't work. Namath is 80. One more note um, from the world of NASCAR. Not surprised by this, but he'll be missed. Kurt Busch is retiring after 45, at the age of 45. Um, I didn't like him too much in the very beginning, but I did like him later. So, anyway. So long, Kurt Bush. I'm sure we'll see you on the broadcasts. All right, gentlemen. Good show. Thank you. Let's do it again in 22 hours. Hey, that's the same number as uh, what's his name, Jimmy Long.
3: 22. That's right. 22. Have a great day.
7: Oh, yes.